Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing The Wild Party. Queenie was a blonde and her age stood still, and she danced twice a day in the vaudeville. Gray eyes, lips like coals aglow. Her face was a tinted mask of snow. To drive men But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you safe and well. I just want everyone to know that despite the fact that I have been recording on my own at my apartment where Chris and I have been self-isolating as any responsible citizen is meant to do, I have been keeping in contact with Patty and Benny. We have been Zooming on the regular. We've been talking about the show, the plans that we have for the show, the Patreon feed, the main feed. So I just want everyone to know that I have my finger on the pulse (laughs) of the show, but also on just the lives of the people that I care about. Patty, Benny, they are vital to the show and they are vital to me just as a person. And I want you, the listener, to know that they are safe and sound. I got to see Patty and her partner's little baby on the Zoom, on our most recent Zoom, actually. And Benny and his girlfriend are doing just fine as well. Very happy to report this news to you. Hey, look, Here we go. Here's something that I want to talk about in the opening segment. So listener Allison pointed me to the fact that, okay, so this is in relation to our last subject, Parade. She pointed me to the fact that the great uncle of Parade's book writer, Alfred Uri, owned the pencil factory that Leo Frank ran at the turn of the century. This info was right there on Parade's Wikipedia page, and I totally missed it. So I'm glad that Allison and I had that conversation. I was able to confirm that bit of info, and I also want to talk about the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Oh, that's because we have three. We have three brand new members of the Cream Pie Cutie Club that we have to talk about this time around. So here they are, Daniel Radcliffe. Hello. He should have been in the mix a long time ago. I'm sorry, Danny. Uh, Nick Robinson was a suggestion from my husband, Chris. Chris has a big crush on Nick Robinson, and frankly, I do too. And he has exactly one Broadway credit at this point. He was in that Broadway Broadway production of Aaron Sorkin's To Kill a Mockingbird. So it counts, it counts. He's in the Cream Pie Cutie Club. Congratulations, Nick Robinson. And finally, uh, we had listener Jenna suggest that we include Lin-Manuel Miranda, and frankly, I have to agree. So Lynn, you're in the mix as well. Now, speaking of Allison, Allison also had a suggestion for the Cream Pie Cutie Club. She was quite insistent that we include Tim Minchin. But here's the thing. Allison, uh, I of course, I 
respect you, I appreciate you, but I just cannot. Here's what you have to understand. I cannot picture Tim Minchin throwing me on my back and turning me into a cream pie. And that's the that's the only barrier of entry when it comes to all of the people in this cream pie cutie club. So it really does just come down to whether or not I find them attractive. And I think it's just something about his long, dirty hair. I, I'm really not into the long, dirty hair of Tim Minchin, and so I respectfully decline this suggestion, Allison. I hope you do not turn away from the show at this point. And if you're wondering, if you're new to the show, if you're wondering who is in the Korean Pie Cutie Club at this point, well, we have 20 people in that club at this point. Let's get that full roster now. We started with Isaac Cole Powell, and we followed him up with Hector Rivera, Ben Platt, Telly Leung, Jelan. Aladdin, Devin Elaw, Sam Tutty of the West End, Charlie Stemp, Ethan Slater, Luke Brady of the West End, Jordan Fisher, Matt Manuel, Anthony Ramos, Ramin Karamlu, Harvey Firestein, Jeremy Jordan, Tommy Bracho, and of course, Daniel Radcliffe, Lynn manuel Miranda, and Nick Robinson. That's our full roster. Oh, gentlemen, you can throw me on my back and turn me into a cream pie any day of the week. Give me a call. I'll be waiting by the cream pie phone. It's shaped like a cream pie. It's a landline phone. Ring, 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 ring. It doesn't say that. It says cream pie, cream pie. And then I pick up the phone and we make an arrangement. Okay, let's move on to the show facts for this week's subject, The Wild Party. Show me the show facts. The Wild Party was a 2000 nominee of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on April 13th, 2000 at the Virginia Theater and ran for only 68 performances. The book was written by Michael John Lacusa and George C. Wolf. Their work is based on Joseph Moncure March's long-form poem, which was initially banned upon publication in 1926. Prior to the musical, The Wild Party had been adapted in 1975 as a film starring James Coco and Raquel Welsh. The film is a semi-transparent commentary on Fatty Arbuckle, a comedian who was accused of rape after hosting a party at the St. Francis Hotel in California. So the film had other priorities. <laughs> It had other goals. The music and lyrics of The Wild Party on Broadway were written by Michael John Lacusa. The director was George C. Wolfe. The musical director was Todd Ellison. The choreographer was Joey McNeely. Scenic design, Robin Wagner. Lighting design, Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower. Sound design, Tony Miola. Costume design, Tony Leslie James. And the original Broadway cast included Yancey Arias, Tony Collette. Yes, that Tony Collette. This was her Broadway debut. I was curious to confirm where Toni Collette was in her film career leading up to her appearance in this production of The Wild Party, so I took a look at her IMDb page. Selected credits include Muriel's Wedding, Emma, Velvet Goldmine, The Sixth Sense, and Shaft. Shaft! She also did voice work for an animated production called The Magic Pudding, which is about, quote, an old man, a young anthropomorphic koala, a South Pole penguin, and Albert, a magic sentient, walking and talking bowl of pudding with an attitude, quote, who search for the koala's missing parents. I know what you're thinking, that old story again? Ugh, John Cleese played the bowl of pudding for the record. Let's keep going with this cast, shall we? 
We got derailed pretty early on. We have Nathan Lee Graham, his Broadway debut. Yes, there we go. Nathan, Adam Grupper, Leah Hawking, Eartha Kitt, Morale. Mark Cuttich, Norm Lewis, Michael McElroy, Brooke Sonny Moriber, Sally Murphy, Mandy Patinkin, Tanya Pinkins, Jane Summerhays, and Stuart Zagnet, his Broadway debut as well. Congratulations to Stuart, Nathan, and Tony. Broadway debuts, Broadway debuts. I do have a note regarding casting. The role of Queenie was originally written for Vanessa Williams, who dropped out of the production when she became pregnant. Lucuza went on to say that, quote, it would have been fascinating to see how an audience responded to a black Queenie. The show is all about the masks that we wear culturally and the removal of those masks over the course of the party. So it's all there. Quote, That's fine, Lucuza, but it seems like creating a showcase for a black performer was less a priority for your team than securing a recognizable star in general. Wouldn't it have been cool if Queenie was black? We can play that game all day, Lucuza. Let's move on to Tony Nods. This production was nominated for Best Musical, Best Book of a Musical, Michael John Lacusa and George C. Wolfe. Best Original Score, Michael John Lacusa. Best Actor in a Musical, Mandy Patinkin. Best Actress in a Musical, Tony Collette. Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Eartha Kitt. And Best Lighting Design, Jules Fisher and Peggy Eisenhower. So, seven nominations, but zero awards at the end of the day. Oh, that's unfortunate. I should say at this point that Lacusa's adaptation of The Wild Party should not be confused with Andrew Lippa's take on the material. That musical premiered off-Broadway two months prior to the Broadway show and only ran for 54 performances. Notable cast members of Lippa's production included Idina Menzel, Brian Darcy James, and Tay Diggs. Let's move on to the plot deconstruction. The plot! We're keeping it short and sweet this time around, my musical minions. Here's my summary. The wild party. More like the bad party, am I right? Hold for laughter. Hold for applause, give them a chance to catch their breath, and moving on. But seriously, folks, the titular party in the Wild Party is held by Queenie and Burrs, a couple so toxic they make the Lockhorns look like June and Ward Cleaver. They make Princess Margaret and Anthony Armstrong Jones look like Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. They make, uh, Samson and Delilah look like Cory and Topanga? What I'm saying is, they're not good for each other. Burrs is abusive. You can't work that out in therapy. In order to distract from the fact that they're maybe 30 seconds away from murdering each other, Queenie and Burrs decide to throw a debaucherous banger that will shake the jazz age to its core. Everyone who's anyone is at this party. Let's take a look at the guest list. The guest list! <laughs> okay, so we've got Dolores, a diva of stage and screen who could give Norma Desmond a run for her money. Gold and Goldberg, hapless producers who are promptly seduced by Dolores. Kate, Queenie's best friend and vicious rival. Black, a handsome gigolo who accompanies Kate to the party. Eddie, a famous black boxer. And May, his white wife. Nadine, May's underage sister who dreams of appearing on Broadway. Jackie, the bisexual maniac yuppie who gives Nadine cocaine and winds up raping her. Oscar and Phil D'Amano, an incestuous musical duo, and finally, feisty lesbian Madeline and her morphine addict gal pal, Sally. 
This is a motley crew, to say the very least. I mentioned the incestuous brothers, did I not? Yeah, welcome to the 1920s. The party takes a right turn into Fuxville almost immediately. No one is sober, no one is staying faithful to their partners, and everyone is screaming. Like I said, it's a bad party. I'd go into all the petty grievances, but honestly, who cares? The only wrinkle that truly matters is the love square that forms between Queen Burrs, Kate, and Black. Black and Queenie are making eyes at each other, and wow, does that ever piss off Burrs and Kate. The karma is bad, and when push comes to shove, Burrs goes for his gun. A struggle ensues. A single shot slices through the revelry. Bam! Burrs falls dead, having been killed by Black. The party rages on as Queenie makes a quiet exit. The lesson... Uh, maybe there's more to life than morphine and murder? I don't know. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 2000 original Broadway cast album, and I watched the 2000 Tony Awards medley, which features snippets from Queenie Was a Blonde, Wild PRT, and When It Hands. Rosie O'Donnell and Nathan Lane introduced the cast, but only after grinding through discarded late-night gags about Dawson's Creek and George W. Bush. This was not a good year for anyone looking to laugh along with the Tonys, let me tell you. The laughter is beyond charitable. I could stop the podcast here and spend a solid half hour praising Eartha Kitt, but my goal is to parse out that praise in small, concentrated doses. Trust me, by the end of this episode, you'll understand how much I adore Eartha Kitt morale. For now, let's address how easily she steals this medley. My eyes are always on her, even as the rest of the cast is bouncing off the walls. There's an enormous amount of power to mine from concentrated stillness, and Kent makes tapping into it seem like a cakewalk. Name another performer who commands this much attention while barely lifting a finger. I'll wait. Put out the news, we got a high party. Put out the word and go and order the ice. We sure could use a little fun, love. When was the last time I wore my new backless? When was the last time you smiled? When was the last time we had a real party? Wet and wicked, fast time fun and wild. What do you mean by fun? You're the clown. You figure it out. I think it's time we had a big party. If baby wants you get a huge champagne, you know that I'm up for a wild party. I'd love to see the whole game. Maybe some new blood'll turn up to play. Oh, I could always use new skins. I could always use someone fresh and tan and thin. We're out of gin. You win. I mean. Not getting any younger, my child. When was the last time we had a real party? Last year, last month, yesterday, but one. to 
find that when it comes to this week's subject, the majority of my positive feedback is rooted in performance. I find the material to be, well, I would say alienating, but that's presumably the whole point. The Wild Party isn't populated with characters you fall for. They're actively, willfully repellent. Let's just say for now that I find the material to be slightly obnoxious. Jonathan, we just started the deconstruction of the score. Why are you showing your hand like this? I only mean to be upfront. My honesty, she is a brutal beast. But you're right, I shouldn't be leaping to my final thoughts this early on. Let's focus on those performances, the people who worked their butts off to keep my attention throughout this album. Tony Collette and Mandy Patinkin are a dandy vocal match, are they not? Collette's voice is like a splash of bright ginger beer, and I dig how Patinkin can casually trade out his famously silver falsetto for a beer barrel baritone. Hearing these two circle each other like slippery eels was a minor delight, which made it all the more disappointing when the dynamic of their characters boiled down to a series of shouting matches. It's like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, but with singing? Uh, yeah, no thanks. We never specified how Burrs is a vaudeville performer who specializes in blackface, my apologies, as if the audience needed one more reason to suspect Burrs might be a bad egg. Huh, what's that smell? It smells like bad eggs. Hey, this guy abuses women and does blackface? Huh, that's no good. Blackface, I mean, come on already. This is a stinky bad egg we've got. <laughs> Born to champagne, but doomed to wallow in bathtub gin. My father was a banker. Yes, all wealth and class and glory. He showed affection now and then, but ah, uh, that's another story. He knocked me down a peg. I'm the proverbial bad egg. Little Jackie was forced to fund his lonely way. But no complaining here. I'm versatile and proud of it. My gift is being dexterous. My daddy called me terrible. But I call me ambisextrous. <laughs> I like it coarse and cheap. I'm the proverbial black sheep. <laughs> How do I survive it all, you say? Well, so long as I got my nice looks, so long as I got my own hair, so long as I got my rhythm, so long as I got my cup filled, so long as I say, I love you, I'm breezing through another day. The Wild Party is at its best when introducing its murderer's row of erstwhile partygoers. Lacuse's character pieces are short and punchy, giving me just enough info on their subjects to leave me feeling amused, if not curious. That's the problem with The Wild Party. I don't mind meeting all of these scumbums, but digging beneath their grimy surfaces is in no way appealing to me. Your life story, your darkest secrets, do me a favor, keep them. And when the night turns sour and everyone starts barfing on each other, other, that's when I scan for the exit. Breezing Through Another Day may not be the strongest of Lacuse's character intros, but Mark Kudich's style makes up for a lack of substance. Those syrupy smooth dips and turns, they're downright intoxicating. We've talked about this in the past, but you can always tell when the actor is elevating the material and not the other way around. In the hands of almost anyone else, this song would come and go like a spray of perfume on the wind. Lacuse was lucky to have Kudich on his team, I tell ya. I tell ya, that's what I tell ya. The brothers Darmano have a ticklish treat A delightful little ditty with a hot new beat Uptown is looking more like downtown Which is looking more like uptown every day Black hurts 
I sound more like white folks who are sounding more like black folks in every way. Martha Graham and E.B. White caught wet with Ethel Waters. Oh, while Langston Hughes pretends he's one of Mrs. Astor's daughters. Ha! Uptown is looking more like downtown, which is looking more like uptown every day. The rest of the world may be lynching and killing and dying, so what? Say la Manhattan's a bubble of rejuvenating Jason. Who cares about the rest of the world? Not me, not me, not me. Uptown, I mean, lovely, 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 ignore how the D'Armano brothers are having sex with each other, because credit where it's due, the D'Armano brothers are, I don't even know if I'm saying that right, the D'Armano brothers are a pretty decent act. They are! Uptown is a solid riff on the wry observational style of Cole Porter. Lucuza shook up that luminescent Porter hooch, gave it a salty sting of a rim, and here I am slurping it down with relish. Uptown also calls to mind Maybe My Baby Loves Me from Grand Hotel, but every second of Grand Hotel makes the wild party look like amateur hour, so maybe it's best if we don't linger on that particular comparison. Hey, remember how the D'Armano brothers have sex with each other? I'm thinking we could have done without that. Eddie and May, Champ's got a wife, got settled down, got a whole different life. When I was 
in college, everyone had an opinion when it came to which version of the Wild Party was better. On one side of the room, you had your Lippa disciples, and on the other, you had your Lacusa stands. I've always been a Lippa boy myself. Lippa's musical got its hooks in me real good real early on, and when I eventually got around to Lacusa's show, it had no real effect on me. Here was my big takeaway at the time. I like the Eddie and May song. Newsflash, I still like the Eddie and May song, and I would assign it to acting students in a heartbeat. My theory is that acting students adore the angst that comes with either version of the Wild Party, but I'd argue selling a charm song like Eddie and May is a greater and more rewarding challenge. You can tear your shirt open and scream at the moon, but can you make me smile? Smile! Make me smile! This is the question I would have asked myself as a college student. College John loved theatrical hysteria. Oh my god, was he ever a queen for the onstage drama. Ah! Gentlemen, you're looking at a woman who invented the walk. You know the walk. I invented that. You're looking at a female who has driven men to homicide. How must you ask? Look at these beautiful legs. These legs were built to drive men. Would you like to die? But first, I hear you moving uptown. I move with you. I hear you're taking talent. Talent I do. I do. I've had learned with the best. <laughs> I can still pack them in. You need help moving uptown. I know the way because I've already been. Could my words possibly do justice to Eartha Kitt morale? Anything that came out of my mouth would sound like a paltry testament. What am I going to say? That she broke the mold? That she applied a golden touch to every role she accepted? That she was hypnotically sexual in a way no one had been or has been since she stepped onto the scene? These words are meaningless. Just picture me on this end throwing my arms up in disbelief. I'm doing it right now. Ha! I have no idea why anyone would bother staging the wild party after Eartha's death. Her absence would ring as loud and distracting as an industrial vacuum cleaner. Oh, what's that? I can't hear you over the cacophonous lack of Eartha. Her first name was Eartha, for Pete's sake. Who did you get to play for your storefront production? Who's playing Dolores in your production? Some lady named Pauline or some shit? Get out of here. No offense, Pauline. Eartha Kitt should have been the star of every major TV show, movie, and theatrical production. Full stop. No one should have been allowed to accept a single part until Eartha turned it down first. Full stop. Full stop. She's a little bit pal. She's a little bit faux. She's a little bit slick. She's a little bit slow Who's gorgeous to the cuticle Whose looks ain't pharmaceutical I'm all this and she's all that She's all dog and I'm all cat But underneath the fur fact You're looking at my best friend She's a little bit stale She's a little bit fresh She's a lot of bit ice She's a lot of bit flesh I always do the mothering Yes, some might call it smothering Different as the day and night Opposite as wrong and right Together we make dynamite Hold on tight for my best friend So you're still shaking it down in the bow 
that with all that money you earn, you gotta spend it on the love you can't get. <laughs> What'll be tonight special? Let me guess. Queenie in distress again. Kate, the icebox is jealous of me and my natural success with men. Yeah, right. I calls it like a season. She never tells the truth. She's a little bit dumb. She's a little bit old. She's a little bit cheap. A little cold. A little soft. A lot of heart. She's a lot of love. Is it basic of me to compare best friend to bosom buddies? Perhaps, and yet it must be done. Lucuza may not have realized he was infringing on MAME territory in writing this caustic duet for Queenie and Kate, but he did so, and so I must bop him on the nose. It would be one thing if I could say bosom buddies walked so best friend could run, but that's never going to happen. Bosom buddies has been running circles around all of us since 1966, and it's never broken a sweat. Can we get a clip of uh, bosom buddies? I feel it's my duty to tell you it's time to adjust to your age. You try to be peg of my heart when you're Lady Macbeth. Exactly how old are you, Vera? The truth. How old do you think? Oh, I'd say somewhere in between 40 and death. But sweet. Always be Alice Toklas if you'll be Gertrude Stein. And though I'll admit I've dished you, I've gossiped and gloated, but I'm so devoted. And if I say that sex and guts made you into a star, it's simply that who else but a somebody will tell you Funnier, catchier, tighter, case closed. Fidelity is a virtue Too many, many, many of you lack Monogamy can exert you Keeping track of what goes on behind your back Would that your sugar could be trusted Instead of busted scrubbing someone else's tub Is it too much to ask? Is it such an awful task? To be faithful, ah, there's the rub. Wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be grand To know your sweetie wasn't squeezing someone else's hand? Wouldn't it be nice, oh, wouldn't it be good 
to know your love had not made love with half the neighborhood. Oh, hasn't it been a hell? Having no success. You wish your baby knew more words than open up and yes. Here's a lyric I wrote down that's kind of fun. Would that your sugar could be trusted instead of busted, scrubbing someone else's tub. Tub is a great word, and Patinkin gives the B on the end a satisfying spank. He's putting in solid work overall. Dude's a fucking pro. Though I can't help but feel this performance is derivative of his work in Follies. Are we all aware of that 1985 Lincoln Center concert production? Let's get a bit of the God Why Don't You Love Me blues for the sake of comparison. I mean, why not? Right? Hello, folks. We're into the follies. First, oh, folks. We'll pause for a mo. No, no, folks. You still get your jollies. This is a got a problem that I think you should know. You see, I'm very perturbed of late, very upset. I'm very betwixt and between. The things that I want, I don't seem to get. The things that I get, you know what I mean. I got those guys, why don't you love me or you do? I'll see you later, blues. That long as you ignore me, you're the only thing that matters, feeling. That if I'm good enough for you, you're not good enough. And thank you for the present, but what's wrong with it, stuff? Just don't come any closer, because you know how much I love you. Feelings. Those tell me that you love me or you did. I gotta run now, blues. I can see why Patinkin would think to draw from this well a second time. Buddy and Burrs share a common hornet's nest of a core, but you can't recreate the homicidal clown routine and be surprised when you come up with diminishing returns. I love you, Mandy. I respect what you're doing here. I wish they'd given you more to play with. Oh, this city. So many lights, you can actually pretend one of them's shining on you. wanted to see the lights of Broadway I always wanted to hear the traffic roar I always wanted to be a part of New York City's great big heart and now I am I couldn't ask for I was that girl I'm all of them Trapped in a room full of shadows and not enough light. And soon we will fade into these walls. Into the nothingness. The end. <laughs> While listening to people like us, I had a startling thought. You should probably sit down for this one. Tony Collette, quite a compelling actor. I have no idea what she's talking about here. I couldn't care less about the context. But when Tony Collette speaks, you listen, goddammit, you listen! Where would the wild party have been without her and Eartha Kitt? Granted, the show ran for less than a hundred performances, but that's our fault, not theirs. Women save the day on a regular basis, and we take them for granted. It's a woeful predictable narrative. No offense, Yancey Arias, but could you, could you get the hell out of here? Could you get the hell out of this song? I have no interest in you turning this into a duet. Shoo, Yancey. Shoo, shoo, shoo. When the golden boy goes down, hell 
The crowd they get mean Can't believe what they've seen Can't be true When the golden boy goes down Fate steps up with a crunch Lands a dirty left punch And your lunch for the newspapers Give us a smile, boy! You're the pride of your race Hey, wait! the back door, remember your place, you can look at the white girls, sure, but champ, don't you touch, when the golden boy went down, did I feel like a hero, Eddie proves to be the only character in this story I wind up feeling for when all is said and done. Everyone else at the party is burying their heads in a mound of filthy cocaine or whatever the hell, and Eddie's in a corner having a full-on existential crisis. His skill as a boxer made him the toast of the town, but the color of his skin has kept him under the heel of white society. Being in that position would fuck anyone up, and it makes sense how his grief would morph into anger, but it bums me out when he yells at May. May's your biggest cheerleader, Eddie. Sweep her up and get the hell out of this abominable soiree stat. I just want to see the lights of Broadway. I just want to hear the traffic roar. I just want to be a part of New York City's great big heart. Now I am. I couldn't ask for more. Can I have some more? I just want to jingle with the right crowd. I just want to feel like I belong. I want to feel like all the big girls do a bright and feels special too. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with Poughkeepsie. The living in Manhattan couldn't fix. Ha! I'm just a kid in Poughkeepsie. But here a kid can get her grown-up gifts. <laughs> Did you just say? I want some more. Brooke Sonny Moriber is making the most of her limited time as Nadine. I must say, her voice is like a white-hot coil, and she's folding this scene up like a damn calzone. Chew on the scenery like it's a big old calzone? Don't mind if I do. My hot take is that Nadine is actually the star-to-be character from Annie's NYC sequence. You remember the star-to-be solo, NYC, just got here this morning, three bucks, two bags, one me. That poor woman got off her bus and walked right into Queenie's party. Oh, what a tragedy. All I want is, oh, I don't know what it is I want. All I want is more, more, more. 
Will everybody please go home? I have to hand it to Lacusa. The last thing I expected from this score was a hard turn into a pocket dimension of unfiltered space madness. And that's exactly what occurs in the final moments of this track, More. Anyone else get a Jesus Christ superstar crucifixion vibe? I wouldn't say it's good, but I would certainly say it's loud. What did you think, Jonathan? I think it's loud. On a serious note, I can't stand how this show includes rape as a plot point. There's a real glut of exploitative subject matter baked into the wild party, and none of it affects me as a human being. What is the point of feeding me spoonful after spoonful of this gruesome slop, this faux-dramatic slurry? Don't invoke rape because you're trying to pat out your grocery list of R-rated topics. I'm in my mid-30s. Rape isn't a card you can play with me. Stop it. Grow up. Rape. Oh my god, it is a... <laughs> Why do I have to say this? It's a weighty subject. Don't just fucking toss it off. I will throw in a bit of rape. No, stop it. Fuck you. I'm spent when it comes to acting as the herald for Eartha Kitt, so I'll let her performance of When It Ends speak for itself. When we come back, we'll go over some of her IMDb credits. You know, as a treat, let's get that clip. You can make a fortune doing next to nothing. You can sit there on your ass and screw your friends. But you better know how to kick, kick, kick your way out of the burning room when it ends. You can sell your body to the highest bidder. You can call it love and cash the dividends. You can take a million lovers, but you're on your own. When it ends Beauty won't matter And brains won't matter When the world falls apart One cold and starving night Money won't matter And love won't matter If you ain't got the balls To fight that one last fight I can tell you that nobody lasts forever appeared before me in the form of Eartha Kitt and tried to make a deal, I'd accept it in a heartbeat. And if you told me that's not Eartha Kitt, that's actually the devil, I'd say shut the fuck up is what I'd say to you. Let's get those IMDb credits I promised, shall we? One episode of Mission Impossible, five episodes of Batman, for which she played Catwoman, of course, morow. A television miniseries called Romeo und Julia 1970? 
for which she played herself. Okay, awesome. One episode of Miami Vice, for which she played Priestess Chata. A 1985 film called The Serpent Warriors, for which she played Snake Priestess. Those Priestess credits are back-to-back, by the way. They come one right after the other. Very strange. Ernest Scared Stupid, for which she played Old Lady Hackmore. Boomerang. Oh my god, she's fucking great in Boomerang. She's so horny. You have to watch that movie tonight. That's your quarantine homework. She was featured in the parody film Fatal Instinct. She was in an episode of the Magic School Bus animated series. She played herself in an episode of The Nanny. She was in Harriet the Spy, The Wild Thornberries, The Famous Jet Jackson, The Emperor's New Groove, of course, The Simpsons, and Holes. And we can't move on without mentioning all of her Broadway credits. Blue Holiday and Carib Song in 1945, Balnegre in 1946, Leonard Silman's New Faces of 1952, Mrs. Patterson in 1954, Shinbone Alley in 1957, Jolly's Progress in 1959, and Timbuktu in 1978. Then we jump all the way to 2000 for The Wild Party and cap things off with an appearance in a 9 in 2003. Miss Kit, no one did it like you, and no one's ever gonna do it like you. Rest in peace. That's it. That's our deconstruction of the Wild Party score. Now let's get a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Gershwin and I'm George Gershwin. We're the Gershwin Brothers, and we'd like to take this moment to say that whether you Gershwin or Gersh lose, you can always count on the smooth taste of 5678 coffee. With that out of the way, here's a question for you. Which one of us is talking right now? Is it Ira? Is it George? One of us is over here. One of us is over here. Which one of us is in your head right now? Here's a fun little game you can try with your friends. Go into your bathroom and Turn out the lights, stare into the mirror, and say Gershwin five times. Gershwin, 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 Gershwin. Now turn the lights on. Which one of us is there? George, Ira, Ira, George? George is always late, so it's probably going to be Ira. That's not true. I'm not always late. Yes, you are, George. 5678 Coffee, you can count on it. See you in the funny papers, everyone, and in your bathrooms. You know, before I get to my final thoughts, I actually am going to take a sip of 5678 Coffee. We never do that. I always say that. We never do this anymore on the air, but I'm going to do it right now. Let's lift our glasses of 5678 Coffee. I assume... When Bat, when Batty, when Patty and Benny hear this, I combine their names for Batty. I assume that when you hear this, you'll raise your glasses too. A toast to Patty and Benny. Let's drink that five, six, seven, eight coffee together. <laughs> Delicious as always. Glad I stocked up. I'm gonna set it down now. You're gonna hear it. That's it. You heard it. Final thoughts on the wild party. It always bums me out when one of our patrons is able to recommend a musical, and I wind up having to admit it's not to my liking. But the sad truth is, I simply do not connect with the wild party. My biggest problem with the show is how it's almost always operating at the same fever pitch. There are breaks in the booze-fueled mania, but they're few and far between, and when we do make it to those quieter moments, I can't focus on them because my head is still ringing from the last outburst. 
Andrew Lippa's musical does a much better job of charting the highs and lows of this one chaotic night. There's a slow-burning intensity to the proceedings, a sense of grim inevitability as you lean into every dark turn. Lucuza is more interested in the whiplash effect, spiking the volume and throwing you off-center. Not as fun. No thanks. I remember experiencing a strong sense of catharsis when, in Lippa's adaptation, Queenie is able to narrowly avoid death and step into a new, presumably better chapter of her life. I definitely did not breathe that same sigh of relief for Lacuse's Queenie. Toni Collette may be an intensely captivating actor, but she can only do so much with this repetitive, shrill score. I hope I never came off as glib or hyperbolic throughout this episode. Lucuza's party does manage to achieve fine status, just barely manages to achieve fine status. And if the sum was better than its individual parts, Tony Collette, Eartha Kitt, I'd give it more credit. You know what it is? I simply have no time for characters who are fueled by jealousy when it comes to sex. It feels hopelessly straight, which is ironic, considering how far the wild party goes to be radically queer. Sort your love lives out on your own time, you morons. Now, for your information, in 2000, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was Contact, and the other nominees that year were James Joyce's The Dead, which we have talked about in the past, and Swing. I feel like I've said this before, but this is a weird, weak season overall when it comes to musicals, but I'd be willing to give the Best Musical Award to The Wild Party simply on the strength of its performances. Contact and Swing can take a seat with Fosse, as far as I'm concerned. Stop trying to pass your dance review views off as musicals. I know that I sound like one of those stuffy people that has a really rigid definition of what a musical is or is not, what it can or cannot be. Look, I'm just trying to be honest. My honesty, she's a brutal beast. I said it before. Let's rank the show against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on the podcast. I'm going to put The Wild Party at number 31. So we have The Lion King right above it at number 30 and right below it, City of, no, Blues in the Night at number 32. So it's The Lion King at number 30, number 31, The Wild Party, and Blues in the Night at 32. Now, if you want to see our complete ranking, if you want to see how all of the shows we've talked about rank against each other, go to our Twitter profile, at MusicalManPod, click on the pinned tweet, you'll be taken to a Google Sheet, go to the second tab. That's it. That's the full ranking, baby. You'll get to see that right there. Ah, yes, the show-related ephemera. Let's circle back to the 1975 film adaptation of the Joseph Moncure March poem, and listen to audio from the original trailer. This is the trailer for that film. Take it away, me. A king of comedy welcomes you to a Hollywood party. The wild party, with all the splendor and decadence of the roaring 20s, starring Raquel Welsh as Queenie, every man's sex goddess. You know what I'm talking about? Lay off that guy! Why? Because I'm telling you! James Coco is jolly grim, fighting for his career and his woman. She'd be your mistress, but you'll never be her master. Thank you, pretty boy. I'm in seek to meditation of Valentino. Wild party. There was gin, sin, and a night they're still whispering about. Rated R. 
Thank you, me. Note how James Coco plays Jolly Grim. James Coco is Jolly Grim, and not Burrs, seemingly because Jolly Grim is more of an overt nod to Fatty Arbuckle. Did I mention Fatty Arbuckle was suffering from second-degree burns on his ass when he threw his party at the St. Francis Hotel? That's a weird little tidbit, isn't it? I almost pulled audio from the trailer for The Magic Pudding, but it's incomprehensible, and I also considered pulling the opening monologue from the 2000 Tony Awards, but the jokes are simply too mediocre. I can't make you sit through them. I can't. I won't. I can't. I won't. Who wrote that awful line about Bill Clinton and the Playboy Mansion? Are you kidding me with that joke? If your joke has less bite than a Reader's Digest submission, you really need to reevaluate your position in the world of comedy. I mean, holy cow, guys. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the Random Number Generator, I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, I, Igor. Everyone ready? Then away we go! Alright, I have stepped off of the musical carousel. Eventually, we did get to a brand new show that we have not covered. The carousel initially took me to Kiss of the Spider Woman, and then it took me to Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812. And so I sort of had to bang on the carousel a little bit. And now it has dropped me off at the year, in the year, 1957. We will be talking about a production that was nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical that season. It only ran for 73 performances, and it is Candy. Indeed, yes, we're going to be talking about Candide. That's a big one. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that next week. We're going to be talking about that next week, huh? Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. You can donate one, three, five, or $10 a month. We do have a brand new $1 a month patron, Maddie. Hello, Maddie. Thank you very much for being a patron. Your generosity. Oh, how it astounds me. Thank you so much. Now, here's a brand new incentive for $1 a month donors, you get Monday early access to main feed episodes. So yes, we're starting that incentive with this episode. So if you donate at least $1 a month, you get to hear this on Monday, <laughs> two full days before everyone else gets it in the main feed. It's true. You also get weekly verbal shout outs. So let's do those now. Thank you very much. Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You get bonus episodes every now and again. We have covered the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, and my full review of Cats, as well as my full review of Chicago Shakespeare Theater's Emma Musical. And you get access to a weekly series. Uh, episode 3 will be dropping on Wednesday, Radio Boy. That's what it's called, a weekly short-form series for which I take a closer look at myself and the songs that make me feel more like myself. We're listening to songs that are from beyond the realm of the canon of, I should say, musical theater. You get to hear all the songs that I just like. It's fun. It's fun. If you donate at least $3 a month, you get all of that. Plus, you get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. And you also get access to Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what 
show I discuss here on the podcast. You get access to season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. And you get access to our ongoing Broadway and Chicago review series. I have already reviewed Oslo, Mean Girls, Once on this Island, and Summer. And I believe we will not be doing another one of those episodes for quite a while. I think August. But hopefully, hopefully we will get to return to that series in August. And if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get access to the Snub Club Season 1, 12 episodes all about musicals that were never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Amelie, Merrily We Roll Along, Flahooly, American Psycho, Be More Chill, Jekyll and Hyde, Allegiance, It's a Bird, It's a Planet, Superman, The Bridges of Madison County, A Doll's Life, Aida, Jesus Christ Superstar. That's it. Those are all the shows we talk about as part of the Snub Club. Now, your donations go toward the purchase of cast recordings, movie rentals, and offsetting the cost of being hosted through Podbean. Hello, Podbean. And if we ever start bringing in more than $100 in total monthly donations, I will produce a brand new series, M3, The Movie Musical Man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied, tied by a common theme. If you're listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to write a five-star review via Apple Podcasts. You might also be streaming the show via Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth. No, (laughs) that's what I have written down, but of course they're not here. Oh, brother, I miss you, Patty and Benny. So thank you, as always, in general, Patty and Benny. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous music. Now, you know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, and good night. <laughs>